Oh, I want to echo Jessica's prayer that God's words would be my words, that he would be the one teaching in this time. And, uh, oh, I so desperately need that this morning. Well, this has been a strange year. I don't know if you guys know this or maybe remember this. I don't know if Mark talked about this last week or not. Um, but this weekend, last year was the first weekend that we went online, it was the first weekend we stopped having services around Trinity. Uh, was the weekend of March 22nd that we stopped. And so it's been a year, which seems like crazy, doesn't it? Like, it's been a year? But in the midst of it, it's like, it's been a year. And, and yet, it's not finished. And so uh, there's just still so much unknown, still so much ahead of us. And so it's just been a crazy time. And God's Word is so ever-present and so ever-needed in this time. You know, how many of you guys have... Uh, use this app on your phone. Do you have an app on your phone? You use the Bible app, right? It's Version Bible app. It was produced by this church down in Oklahoma called Life Church. This little church down there that worships like 100,000 or so people on a weekend. Uh, little place, you know, kind of our size. And anyway, they're like, they've developed this and they just give it away along with all their content. They just give this stuff away for people to use. But you know, the thing about this online stuff is that they know what you're reading. Right? And so they put out reports and tell us what people are reading on version. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but they actually track it, and they, they, they got some statistics from 2020. And it's no, not a surprise when you think about it. Think about this. They, they track, and they said the most read verse in 2020. Any, anybody want to take a guess what maybe the number one verse in 2020 was people read on version? It's Isaiah 41.10. It goes like this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Not surprising, is it? In the midst of a pandemic, that actually people would turn to God's word and turn for assurance that, you know, this pandemic isn't like evidence that God has forsaken us, right? This isn't the apocalypse. This is like, this is life. And God is still with us, and people need assurance of that. And in fact, it's crazy because they said that their searches, the Bible app searches, you know, you could search for scriptures and search for words like that, increased in 2020 by 80%. The searches on the Bible app, over 600 million searches worldwide in the Bible app. Crazy stuff, right? It all began in Oklahoma. So, um, but it, this was the number one verse in the United States, India, South Africa, and the Netherlands, and the Philippines. Number one read verse in all of those countries. In, in Ghana and, and the Philip and the and was Ghana, it was Philippians 4 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but by every by prayer and petition offer your thanksgiving to God. Like very similar, right? And then the, the next one is in Kenya, it was Romans 8.28, which is what we just heard read, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. People are searching for hope, they're searching for assurance because this pandemic has just turned the world upside down. And, and, and people are trying to figure out, is, is God still there? Because if he's still there, then why do we have the pandemic? And why is there suffering? And why, why, why is this all happening? And people are looking for hope and assurance. And, and what's great is that this text gives us that hope and assurance in the midst of all kinds of suffering. And what's crazy is that this is usually where we stop when we recite this text. The two most read texts in, in Romans 8, I would argue, is Romans 8.1 and Romans 8.28. Romans 8.1 says, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Right? Now, no condemnation. And then this one. Right? That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That, those are the top two. But I would argue that, that not argue, I would say probably, I, I've never sat where you're sitting or stood where I'm standing and taught or heard someone teach live on those next two verses that we heard read, 29 and 30. We sort of like pull up short, right? It's like, whoa, predestination. <laughs> like, uh, we're just going to like go on to 31 and say we're conquerors. Um, because I, I can't explain that part. And so today, I, I really want to kind of take a crack at explaining it. And I think to do so, we need to understand the whole context of what's being said here. Because I think it fits with our context of what we're doing right now today in this text. Because we live in this like crazy place where there's all this stuff going on. We live in earth. And that's where this crazy stuff goes on. It's this context of really what Paul's saying. It's all of Romans 8, but really it's in the shorter context of 18 to 39. And it's within this context that Paul has said in 7, he's like, you know, I try to do good, but I can't do good, and I don't know how I'm going to do it, but thanks be to God, because he has, right? Now there's no condemnation, and now there's a spirit that leads me, and I can walk by the spirit, and I don't have to walk by the flesh. And even though I try, I, I, I sometimes get it wrong, but I'm still walking by the spirit. And so he's talking about this, and then he's talking to these Roman Christians, and he's also talking to us, because this isn't just limited to this time. He's saying that, he says, it's how he says, he says, however, where the heck am I? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That is Romans 8, 8, 8.18. See, he's talking about this text that we see about God working all things for good in the midst of an overall excursus about suffering in the world. See, and I want to kind of dispel a lie, sort of a myth that I think sometimes we suffer under. And I say we suffer under the myth. Because I think we sometimes believe that the more we're like Jesus, the easier life will be. The more we're like Jesus, the less we'll suffer. And that's just not what this word says. I mean, Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. They will persecute you. In fact, they're going to kill most of you. But take heart. I'm with you. In fact, if you follow after me, you're going to have a joy that can't be replicated in this world, but following me in the midst of your suffering. And Paul says right here to these Roman Christians, do not let the circumstances of this life convince you that God has forsaken you. Why did Jesus tell his disciples that they're going to be persecuted, they're going to suffer? Because they would. And if he didn't warn them and tell them that that was going to happen, they could labor under the myth that, you know, now that we know Jesus, everything's going to be great. All the suffering's going to be gone. All the pain's going to be gone. It's all going to be going away. But it doesn't. But there's hope. And there's joy in the midst of the pain, hope in the midst of the suffering. Because something greater is coming. That's what Paul's trying to tell them. That's what he's trying to tell us. Because here's what he says. He says there's going to be suffering, there's going to be frustration, there's going to be bondage to decay, and there's going to be groaning in the pains of childbirth. That's what life is going to be like. But there's hope. And these verses that we're going to look at today in 28 to 30 is the really central part of this hope that gives us this assurance that regardless of circumstances, God is with us. He's not forsaken us. 
You know, we said two weeks ago, remember Rusty Funk was here and he said, these kids in Bolivia, you know, we, we labor under this other myth in the world that if you have less, you are less. It's just not true. We, we, we fall into that same myth here in the United States. But we also fall into that myth that if you suffer less, you must, be, you have, must, must have a greater faith. Right? The greater your faith, the less the suffering. The smaller your faith, the greater your suffering. And that's a lie. And that's what Paul said. That's what Jesus said. That's what all the Scripture is teaching us. In fact, I was listening to a sermon once, and this preacher got up, and he's talking about how he actually became a preacher. Actually, he became a pastor. And it was the pastor of his church that asked him to be a pastor. And they were at dinner with him and his wife, and they left dinner, and his wife says, I think you should do it. And he's looked at her, and he said, have you read what's in here? He says, because people that follow Jesus, they suffer. Have you read what's in here? Well, apparently, he still became a pastor because there's joy in the midst of it. And that's what Paul's saying. We can be assured in the midst of whatever's going on in our life, your suffering doesn't say God has forsaken you. It says that you're human. It says that you live in a fallen, broken world where the hall of creation is groaning as in labors of childbirth, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed so that the creation could be made new again. Ooh. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying. And trying to remind us that actually we have assurance and all of creation is waiting for us and saying, yes, you should also be assured. We just can't wait for all of you to be revealed. He tells us that he works all things, the good and the bad, for our good. For those who love him are called according to his purpose. But then he goes on to say this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. And he conformed to the image of his son that, might, that he might be, that is Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And there's such promise and hope in this text because it really tells us who in verse 28 Paul's talking about. He's talking about those in the church. He's talking about those who believe, who call Jesus Lord and Savior. Those are the people that God is working for the good of. And, and this tells you how, how he identifies those. He starts off with this word, he says, foreknew. This word foreknew, this foreknowledge, is a God knowing ahead of time. God knowing from eternity past to eternity future, which is like crazy. But before you were born, before the earth was created, before time was created, God knew you. He sees from beginning of time to the end of time. Because the time will come when time will end and, and eternity will be back. And, and God exists outside of this. And he sees it all. It's his foreknowledge, his being able to see. That He says then he predestines those that he sees to be conformed to the image of his son. To look more like Jesus. God has determined that. That word predestined means to decide ahead of time, to determine ahead of time, to preordain you ahead of time, to set you apart ahead of time, to look like Jesus. And those he predestined, he also called. 
he chose. He, remember Jesus in 644 says, you didn't, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. The Father, you didn't come to me, but the Father drew you. The Father called you to me. Those that he foresaw and predestined, he called to Jesus. And he also justified. You guys have been around for the last six or so months. We've been talking about this word. This word means to be declared righteous. That word righteous is that relationship word. That we're in a right relationship with God. And the fact that we're in that right relationship with God is all due to God and the work of Jesus. Because Jesus lived the life in the right relationship with God that we couldn't live. And now he gives that to us. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus. And because we have the righteousness of Jesus, we are justified in his sight today. Not someday, but today. And those he justified, he also glorified. Glorified meaning as we will be. We are now, but not yet. We are now, but we're not yet. These words have tripped so many people up because we look at them and we try to figure them out and try to describe them. And and some of these are like beyond our understanding. And so I think one of the best ways, some of the greatest theologians have looked at these and said, I think the thing we have to understand is what we don't know before we start saying what it is we do know. And I want to kind of illustrate it this way. You guys know this symbol here? like infinity, right? It's this mathematic symbol that means endless, boundless, without end. That's really what it means. You could say that about a whole set of numbers, you know, negative and positive, they can go on infinitely. You could say that about a line, right? A line goes on infinitely. Something that has a beginning isn't infinite. It's finite. It had a beginning. It can go on, but it had a beginning. That's what infinity is. It's something boundless, without end. Now, here's what some of the greatest mathematicians will tell you. That there's really no such thing as an actual infinite. Now, pay attention. I don't want to lose you guys. There's no such thing as an actual infinite. There can be a theoretical infinite. It used to be thought that the universe was eternal. That it always has been, always will be. That the universe was infinite. But now, what do we know? There was a beginning, right? Once there was nothing, and now there's something. And, and now we find out that the universe isn't infinite. It's finite. In fact, science is telling us, as, as Scripture has always told us, that there'll be an end. So, so, so this time will come where everything will come to an end in this world, and so it's finite. And so why do I say that? Why do I say that? Because you and I are finite, right? There was a beginning, So we are finite creatures. But see, math says there's really no actual infinite, although what's interesting is not all mathematicians agreed with that, which is surprising. I thought math was exact, but apparently not. Um, But they don't all agree, but some of the greatest mathematicians say it is. But here's the thing. There is an actual infinite. Scripture tells us there's an actual infinite. It's not a thing, but a being. And he's God because he's eternal. From eternity past to eternity future, he's always been. He's the uncreated one. He is the true infinite being. And I bring that up because we, being finite creatures, how can we ever hope to understand an infinite being who created time and exists outside of it? Wrap your brain around that. 
You can't because we're finite. We'll never completely understand the foreknowledge of God. We just can't. But that hasn't kept people from trying to do so and finding themselves down these slippery paths and these slopes where they end up with a place that makes the gospel weak and powerless. And that's the last place we want to be because Paul himself says it's the power of God into salvation for all who believe. So we can do nothing that makes the gospel powerless. We should never do anything like that. But we do that when we try to get into God's mind and try to understand what he knows. And there's just some things we can't do. But there's some things we can understand, which is what I love about Scripture. One seminary prof told one of our pastors about this, about one of the Gospels, but I think it applies to all of Scripture, is that it's shallow enough that the smallest of child can, can enjoy playing in its waters. But it's deep enough that no one could ever plumb its depths. That's Scripture. It's clear enough that the smallest child could understand it. But yet they're so deep that we could never completely understand it all. But we can understand this because Paul is writing to this church in Rome, to simple people like you and I. He's not writing to a bunch of scholars, right? Now, maybe there's scholars in the room. He was writing to you too. But he's writing to simple people, so he's writing in a way that we should be able to understand. And, and scholars will teach us that if we pay attention to the text and what the text says, we can understand this. And the thing we have to understand is all these words that he talks about here are all chained together and chained together in a sequence for a purpose. It begins with God's foreknowledge, what God knows from eternity past. That word foreknowledge there is that, what God knows. It's not a willful act. That foreknowledge does not determine our actions. It informs him what he sees. Again, I can't understand that. But those he foresees, those that would, would, would respond to his love, he preordains. This being that exists out of time sees all, and he preordains those, you, who call yourself Christians, who call yourself followers of Jesus, who confess him and believe him in your heart, those he has preordained to be conformed into the image of his son. From before time began, <laughs> that's how sure it is till the end. And those that he predestined, he called. It would make sense. He would call and bring us to be conformed to the image of his son. And those he called, he justified. He declared righteous because of his love. And those he justified, he glorified. To be created in the image of his son. But if we're honest, right, we look at that and we're going, great, but why is it I'm still, like, sinning? Why is it I'm still, like, struggling? And, and that comes back to what I said earlier. This is, this is thought of, like, now and not yet. We are now everything that Paul wrote about, everything that Jesus said, that's who we are now. Scripture talks about us being saved from that now. We just haven't experienced it fully yet. We have been known from God from the beginning of time. He knows us now and he'll know us again. We have been predestined to be conformed into his image, but we're not there yet. We've been called. We've been justified, fully justified, but we still experience the presence of sin in our life. 
But one day we will truly be glorified, and not only will we know it, but we'll actually see it. John, 1 John 3, 2 says, one day we will see him as he is, and each other as we are, as he really, truly created us to be, but we're not there yet. But here's the thing. You can rest assured in these verses that you will be. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus has said. There's no level of assurance, right? There's no, this faith gets you in and this faith gets you higher. You can be assured that this is your future. Not based upon how much you look like Jesus, right? Like you're more assured if you look more like him and you're less assured if you look less like him. No, he's saying you can be as assured now as the moment you came to faith. The moment you were baptized, the moment the gospel produced faith in you, you have the same assurance as the greatest of believers. You can rest assured with that. God has seen it from the very beginning, and he chose you. And he wants each of you to know. You can rest assured. You don't have to... You don't have to worry and fret and fuss and, and wonder, am I good enough? Am I, am, I, am I strong enough? Do I have enough faith in every little thing that happens? And, and maybe I'm sick because of this. And maybe I... No. We're sick and we suffer and we die in this world because we live in a fallen, broken world. Yeah, we suffer because of the sins that we commit. We do experience the consequences of those sins, but there's so much in this world that is out of our control that we suffer under. But none of that dictates your faith. It is God himself that dictates that. And so Paul says this to us. He says, you are not who you were created to be. You are not yet who you were created to be, but you are closer now than you've ever been. You are closer now than you've ever been to seeing yourself glorified as God sees you now. And one day, he says, you will see that. And that's why Paul says earlier in Romans, in, in 25, he says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, because we've not yet seen ourselves glorified, not fully, not the way God sees us, but one day we will. But, but if we hope for what we have not yet, we wait for it patiently, eagerly, patiently, enduring all things, because we know that this isn't the end. We know that death isn't the final word. We know that Jesus has won the victory. We know we are already. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, it says we've been seated at the right hand. We are already there. And God and Paul, and I want you to know, I need to know, you have assurance. If someone says, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? It's like, well, it's what Jesus said. In fact, in a way, I'm already there, but not yet. There's still work for me to do here. That's who Paul's talking about. He's talking about you in Romans 8. You who are called. You who called Jesus your Lord and Savior. He says, you, there's no condemnation for you anymore. He's punished all that sin in Jesus. But yet some people are like, well, how do I know? I know you tell me, right? But how do I know? How can I know personally? 
Well, here's what Paul says later in Romans. He said, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe in your heart Jesus is your Lord and Savior? You confess him with your mouth? Paul says you can rest assured that you're already in heaven. You're already there. And he says earlier, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's not your testimony. <laughs> it's God's testimony to himself that you are his child. That's this whole section of chapter 8 where he talks about the Spirit is working on your behalf, the Spirit lives in you, and the Spirit lives in you to identify you as God's child and to also instruct you how to walk as one of God's children. Not worrying about your eternal fate, but knowing that your hope is sealed with Jesus. See, it's not just a hope then, it's a hope now. It's a hope that we live in right now. That can say to you, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how much you've screwed up in this world, regardless of what you're going through right now and, and what people would say about you, regardless of all those things, God chose you. Before the world began. And he set you apart to be conformed to the image of his son. And one day, you will see what he sees right now. You can count on it. We don't have to understand it all, but there's enough there to let us know. If you will just meditate on these words, the harder you hold on to this truth, the more apt you will be to walk through that valley of the shadow of death. See, the time to hold on to these words and to memorize these words is now, not in the midst of your suffering, but before something turns your world upside down. Now is the time to truly rest in this assurance of God in the midst of a pandemic that isn't over yet. We can rest assured that God is still working. He still sees you. He's still with you. And he so longs for you to know that. But I think it leaves us with one final question. And that question is, what about those that don't know him? What about them? Because these are words to the people that do. But what about the people that don't? I'll answer that next week. Oh, cliffhanger. Yeah, so come back next week because we do. We must talk about that. We must. So come back next week. I pray this week, meditate on these verses. Pray that the Spirit would continue to grow your faith, to hold you firmly in this truth. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come and we admit Oh, you are so far beyond our comprehension. It's amazing that we can understand anything, but you have made yourself clear to us. You've made yourself known, and I am overwhelmed and perplexed why you, knowing me, would still choose me, would still save me. But your word says that you do.
and that you have. And that one day, we will see the work of your hands. We will see things that we have not yet seen. Father, it is in that hope that we persevere. It is in that hope that we go into this world today. Let us rest in that assurance in the midst of this fallen, crazy world. For Jesus' sake and those that do not know him. Amen.